classic American music from vaults buried miles underground. And let me tell you, that took a lot of digging. You're hearing the resurgence of shortwave on WTWW Lebanon, Tennessee, USA. Good evening, cafeers. It is Thursday evening, February 13th here in the Digicom Cafe. Did you miss me? I didn't do a podcast last night. I was too busy all day long with so many other things. I just uh, didn't have time to get around to it. And I didn't really have much to say. You know, sometimes you're just busy with other things. And even though I say it's a daily podcast, it won't be daily. I can guarantee you. In fact, next week, I have jury duty. We have to work at the election center uh, for a couple of days. And those will be long 12-hour days. So... Uh, I think I'll be missing a few more next week, too. But meanwhile, today was a very eventful day. I was busy redoing my satellite antenna for fox hunting. And it was cold out today. I don't think it barely got above freezing. And out in the shed where I do my work, it was uh, pretty chilly. My toes were numb by the time I finished. That's four hours ago, and I'm still chilled. I love sitting in front of the fire that we've got going in the living room. There's something about radiant heat. You know, that's electromagnetic energy. That's like radio waves. And they penetrate into my body and heat me from the inside out. I just love wood fires. So I will be doing that as soon as I'm done with this episode of my Radio on the Rocks Cafe cast, where I attempt to build interest in amateur radio, one segment, one story, one episode at a time. And today, being as we're getting ready for a fox hunt, Coming up in March, we uh, had it announced at our club Tuesday night at the NARS Club. That's the North Arkansas Amateur Radio Society. It was presented by our president that we're going to have a fox hunt. And I've been a ham over 50 years, and I have yet to be involved in a fox hunt. So this is going to be a treat for me. I'm doing my research. One of my ham friends in the satellite community, Joe, KI4AFK, is kind of an expert at that. He and his wife, uh, Mary Catherine, have uh, been featured on the front cover of CQ magazine. And so we're going to give Joe a call today and have a nice little conversation about fox hunting. I've got a lot to learn and I've done some research online. There's a lot of great websites and YouTube videos on it. And I think Joe will maybe shed some new light on it too for you. If you've never been fox hunting, it is a fun activity. It's much like geocaching and I'm kind of a fan of geocaching we've done that for many years off and on not on a steady basis but it is enjoyable when you do it and you get to use your phone and plot courses and uh, find your way to a treasure and uh, it's always exciting when you get to find one hidden away somewhere so this will be our main feature today is an interview with Joe stand by we will call him afterward about voice flow Here in the Digicom Cafe Communications Network, we are all about the power of voice. Did you know that you could listen to my Cafe Cast by simply asking Alexa to play Radio on the Rocks? And that you could maneuver your way around my Cafe Cast library by simply saying next or previous? I created this Amazon skill using a free and easy platform called VoiceFlow, where you just build your skill block by block, no coding necessary. If you'd like to build your amateur radio skill, go to voiceflow.com. That's voiceflow.com. 
Hey, buddy. How are you? Good to hear you. I've been out working on my uh, fox hunt antenna. I had one made out of PVC pipe. I was building a dual band Yagi for my satellite stuff in the beginning. You may recall some of my pictures, but I'm modifying that to being just my fox hunt antenna now. On the antenna front, I, I pretty much use that aero antenna for, for satellites and then the tape measure for the, for the fox hunting myself. It's just you know, it's just a lot more portable, lighter weight. And, yeah. and then, you know, you're out tromping around in the woods and that, you know, that arrow antenna. I, I mean, even with no trees around, I always seem to walk into things with it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to wreck that. We had a club meeting on Tuesday night and made the announcement that we're going to do this in March. And everybody was told, this is not critical. You know, you just basically follow the instructions and don't worry about it. It'll work pretty good. But Seems to me you really need to have a, a good tune, don't you, to receive really well? Oh, yeah. We made ours a couple years ago, the Atlanta Radio Club. So, you know, of course, we live in the metro Atlanta area. That's a big metropolitan area. There are, you know, 10, 12 ham radio clubs in the metro area. Um, some are big clubs. Some are, some are smaller clubs. The oldest club is the Atlanta Radio Club itself. So uh, they uh, they put on this was a brilliant idea. They put on a, an antenna making session. So you showed up with fifteen dollars, and they already had all the raw materials ready to go as a kit. And um, and and so you know the PVC pipe was already cut. The, uh, the, uh, the 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 you know the tape measure links. They they didn't cut that, but they had a big spool of it. Um, and they had the right kind of shears to, to cut it accurately. And, uh, they had soldering, you know, guns there. Mary Catherine actually did the soldering, but yeah, once, once you get near the end of building it, you really want to have an antenna analyzer because you, there, there's a piece in the middle in the plan, the, uh, uh you know, the, 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 the driver, the, the front, you know, segment is fixed. The uh, the reflector of the Yagi, the back element, is fixed. The middle element is purposely not fixed because that's what gets tuned. And so there's a little length of wire that connects each side of the... Uh, You're talking about that hairpin deal? Yeah, yeah. Is that length critical? Uh, it is, it is. So... So the hairpin, um, the so, hairpin so, so, turn is what you tune it with. Then once you get your elements cut to the right length, right? Yeah. So so you you have the middle section there, and um, uh, that that wire that kind of goes between them is is what kind of gives you some some variable length, uh, electrical length. And so then you can take those elements and um, uh, you know the left and right hand side of that middle element and and and. You know, pull them out more or, or compress them more and you know following the plan itself we came I, I think it tuned to like um you know 1.4 to 1 and so you know very usable just cutting exactly but you know when you when you of course when you tune an antenna you you want to take in as much factors as you possibly can so we actually held the antenna as if we were using it and and then tuned from that position and and we found that we had to move the uh 
the middle elements maybe a millimeter and then boom i mean it was it was one to one i mean i think it literally was like 1.005 to one and i was like well that's pretty pretty tight and um you know it it it, it helps but having the tools the raw materials and the antenna analyzer makes for a i guess a cleaner experience of course I've seen some people put together tape measure Yaggies that are that are pretty rough looking. It still gets the job done. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations on being on the front cover of CQ magazine. Uh, how did that happen? Okay, so you know that's an interesting story. A couple years ago, we got into fox hunting, and we discovered we being myself and my wife Mary Catherine Ki four HHI that this is a hobby, an aspect of the hobby that we both enjoyed. She's obviously in the hobby, maybe not as, as into it as I am, but this is something we found that we both enjoyed together, and, and we found that, that our our strengths and weaknesses played off of each other. I'm really good at the front end of the fox hunt, finding the signal and triangulating the signal. Um, she's really good once you get close to the fox and you have to attenuate the signal she's just you know it might be women's instinct or what she's just really good at finding them so we started attending a lot of fox hunts around the atlanta area and 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 we found that we were actually pretty good at it and we won many of them uh with against people who had been doing it longer and had had more sophisticated equipment so we thought you know we ought to put one on and so in April of last year, uh, we and, and we wanted to, to, to you know, kind of add some creativity to it. We came up with an alien-themed fox hunt. Uh, we we built a scenario around the fox hunt that aliens had crash landed in in one of our local parks that they had set up little transmitters and you had to go find them. And uh, we scripted this thing out. We put on the fox hunt, and fun was had by all. Um, interestingly enough, a, a, a group of, of, of high school kids and, and one of their fathers won the fox hunt against some folks that were more experienced. Uh, their picture is actually in the article. So the guy who writes the fox hunting column and, and has also written kind of the, the, the Bible, as it were, about fox hunting um, – uh, he, his name's Joe also, um, he, uh, uh, writes this monthly fox hunting column, apparently was just doing internet research to, to write another column and stumbled on our, uh, our club website and, and, and the promotional material I had put on our club website about the fox hunt. So he reached out to me, said, Hey, I'm, I'm Joe. I'm, um, you know, I write the Fox Hunting Conference CQ magazine. This is a really cool idea. I'd, I'd like to feature it in the magazine article. Is that okay? Yes. Can you tell me about it? Not, not too unlike what you and I are doing here. And uh, and send him some pictures. Sure. And he asked me a few more questions. And okay, that's great. We're going to be in the magazine. Cool. About a month later, uh, they write those things a couple months in advance. So a little over a month ago, I actually heard from. Uh, 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 Rich, the publisher of the magazine, and he, he said, "Hey, Joe, I'm 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 the publisher of the magazine, and when one of our columnists done a you know feature about you, we really like that picture of you and your wife. 
would you uh, give us permission to put you on the cover? <laughs> of course, what do you say to that? Yeah. I'm going to say no. <laughs> right. And, uh, well, well, sure, we're honored. And he said, you know, can, can you send me, you know, the highest res version you have? And, and that picture is actually after we had won a fox hunt. Uh, it wasn't the alien event. It, it it was another fox hunt, another club. We had just just won that fox hunt. Somebody took our picture, and and so that's that's how that came to be. It it, it all started with just an internet research to you know uh, uh, write a column, and one thing led to another, and uh, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always looked at you and your wife as ambassadors for the hobby. I follow you guys on Twitter among the satellite group and you're always so good about posting pictures about a pass and often an audio file to go with it and you're always out there and I know that you're both outdoors people so you found a great way to marry being outdoor active and ham radio active uh, considering yourselves as ambassadors for the hobby don't you? Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, and I, I appreciate that, um, um, uh, you know, your kind words, Denny. We, we actually both do consider ourselves ambassadors of the hobby. I, uh, our ARRL state section manager, appointed me assistant section manager, and that's actually my job hmm. <laughs> um, as, as a volunteer appointee uh, to go to HamFest, and I try to make it a point to broaden the field. I, I, I try to engage people that are, that are new or just learning. Um, every year we attend the Atlanta Science Festival. Uh, some local ham clubs get together and put a a booth together uh, to engage school-aged children in science. And it's a pretty big event, and, uh, you know, even in our local club. And that's one of the things I like about fox hunting. You you do not have to have a license to, to do fox hunting. In fact, you don't even need to know much about radios to uh, to do it. So it's, it's an activity that has a low barrier to entry and doesn't require any licensing, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun when I tell people it's a radio scavenger hunt. Oh, that's pretty cool. We want to try that out. So, so yeah, we we, we really do try to uh, be ambassadors, and then also to to fellow hams. I know that's a sore spot in some marriages. Um, some marriages you have uh, you know husband and wife are both into the hobby. Um, Many marriages, it's it's just the husband. There there are a few. It's just the, the you know the wife that's into it. But um, and uh, we also kind of like to to minister to other couples. Um, uh, you know, there's a whole story about how Mary Catherine got licensed, and and that story does not start with Joe asking her to get licensed. For those of us who've been married a while, we know that's the quickest way to not get your partner to do something <laughs> is, is is complain about it you know? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah well my wife got her license as a gift to me on her anniversary but she doesn't like That's to talk sweet. on the radio but she does support me and what I'm doing and I consider myself to be an ambassador for the hobby and I'm doing everything I can you do a great job with it, it you know these podcasts your social media presence just just reaching out to people I think it's it's important um, for folks like yourself. Uh, we try to do this. I think many others, Denny. We love the hobby. It's a hobby of hobbies, as we both know. You know, as long as you you know abide by Part 97, there's no right or way, wrong way to do the hobby. I know some people get quite spirited and, and opinionated about 
you know, I think part of the fun is kind of finding your own way. And, and, and that was really sweet of your wife to do. You know, my wife just saw how much I enjoyed it. And she knew that her getting licensed would make me happy and did it. She literally, uh, about a week out from a testing session, because I'm a VE also, said, hey, give me your study book. I think I'm going to try out for that test. I said, that's great. Of course, I had to notify my fellow VEs that, you know, that's against the rules. You you can't test the family member. Mm-hmm. So for once, I wasn't proctoring the test. I had to sit out in the lobby and, and kind of wait, kind of like the nervous husband. So, <laughs> um, but I, te- I te- she tells a lot of the ladies this, you know, again, you're, you're, you know, the folks listening to this, I, I know there's, there's differences of opinions on this. I've always looked at ham radio license as a license to learn. Right. The question pool is public domain. The answers are public domain. And I have always thought that it is advantageous, even if somebody kind of memorizes the questions, to get them licensed and then they can learn. I don't think we're going to attract people to the hobby by insisting that they are experts on, on all, the, all the knowledge domains. If that was true, I don't think it would be a multiple-choice test. And again, I had to pass the Morse code when I, I did my extra upgrade, So, and, and I, I dabble in that. So she literally took the study guide. It was the Gordon West study guide and just crammed for a day and sat and took the test, and she actually had the highest score that night. And she still likes to tell people, hey, I don't know a lot about radio, but that's okay. Having the license allows me to participate and have fun with it. Right. Well, watching you and uh, seeing similarities between our lifestyles, I Indeed. I think that uh, we fall in line with what my title of my presentation is going to be at the Bella Vista Amateur Radio Club, and that is Enjoying Amateur Radio with Purpose. I think you and I both look beyond that to what can I do to make this be of benefit to others, whether it's emergency operating or reaching young people and giving them something constructive to get involved in. You are actively out there enjoying the hobby with purpose, aren't you? A- absolutely. In fact, one of the guys that was on the winning team that's in the magazine article isn't even licensed yet. When we went out to the West Georgia Amateur Radio Club's Fox Hunt, that's the one that's on the cover photo, we had another young lady from the technical college there. They came, several students, and they partnered up with our teams. And it gets them exposure to it, so it's not just a bunch of old guys tapping out Morse code, but there's a, you know, whether it's balloon launches, they did a balloon launch after the fox hunt, which is really cool, or the satellite stuff, you know, the satellite stuff, which we both enjoy, is another thing that just amazes people. Hey, you're, you're, you're talking to a, a flying lunchbox that's going 17,000 miles an hour, you know, that, that's cool. Yeah, you can talk on the Internet, but, um, you know, those sorts of things. And so, yeah, with a purpose to not just minister to our own, which is good and important to be proficient radio operators, but to, you know, go out in the community, be seen, be seen as helpful, knowledgeable, and expose people to it is, uh, was, is, is very important to me. Do you find that the fox hunts and satellites are probably the best way to reach young people today for amateur radio? I think um, and this this would probably be a subject of a good good blog post or a future discussion. I think it are, are two great examples. I, I I can think of some other ones. Okay, um, in the uh, I'm going to extend youth, college, and and maybe young adult. 
are really into the, I'm going to call it the maker movement, where they're really into making things. And there are uh, maker spaces uh, all across the country where they're you know, basically uh, open-air workshops that have tools. You know, making things is a big deal. There's actually even a magazine devoted to it. When we built the Cape Measure Yagi with the Atlanta Radio Club, they had that event in a maker space. So the tools were there. And so there is a whole segment of maker fairs, whether it's, you know, electronics, uh, Raspberry Pi, small computers, robots, uh, leather goods, um, just handcrafted things is, is kind of become a, uh, you know, a big deal now. And so ham radio, especially the build it sort of things, is another very public facing thing. Morse code has come full circle from being a requirement and somewhat arduous to when when we set up CW stations at like the Atlanta Science Festival, kids think it's cool, like it's some secret code. Uh, Google even released a, an app that can like convert text messages to Morse code, and that's a thing because now it's even though it's not secret, most people don't know CW. And then just good old science experiments, whether it's a Van de Graaff generator and you can see the little little sparks uh, uh, or a balloon launch. So back to your question, yes, I think fox hunting, uh, satellites, things that you can touch and put your hands on and kind of have a wow factor. I don't think many people are that excited about sitting at a desk and talking to people around the world anymore. And that's not to say it's a bad thing, but uh, at field day, the get on the air station normally doesn't have the same impact it did 20 years ago. In fact, the, the jamboree on the air, the event the scouts do, they've opened that up and it's not just radio traffic, but voice over IP. Uh, and even with the, uh, Denny, the, the, the ARIS program where you can talk to the International Space Station. I helped one of our local schools apply for consideration to, to talk to the astronauts. You can pick whether you want to use amateur radio or just a direct satellite connection. I do think maybe a little bit of that wow factor, just you know, talking on the radio. We we you know we got to add something to that. Wow. Well, I like the idea that you can do a fox hunt without a license, and people can use just a scanner even to just dial up the frequency and participate. I think that's cool, and I'm almost ashamed to say it, but I haven't done a fox hunt yet, and I've been a ham over 50 years. Can you believe it? Well, I can. It's like, uh, you know, I'm coming up on, you know, 20 years in the hobby myself, and I hadn't done satellites. And I mean, we sort of started at the same time with that, and it was like I was always, man, you got to buy all this expensive equipment. And, and, and I was at a ham fest, and no, you just need this aluminum stick, basically, and point it at the sky. You don't need – in fact, many times you get through better with that than having – the expense of equipment and, and to your point with the fox hunt we have a little presentation that we we give i sent you the link to it uh that's freely distributable you can you can share that as, as you see fit denny as recent as monday we spoke to a neighboring ham radio club uh, one of the guys was talking and he told me yeah he had participated in a fox hunt with with a young man who who simply had a scanner and the ham provided the, the tape measure Yagi to get them close, but they used the handheld scanner actually with the antenna removed and, and a technique called body blocking to attenuate the signal, and, and they did pretty good with that. So that you're right, there's there's a low barrier to entry with the equipment, too, for Fox Link. Cool. Well, 
let's just focus on the fox hunt because I've got one coming up. Our club's going to sponsor one in March. I'm really looking forward to this. So take us from the beginning. Well, there's really three main steps that one does to participate in a fox hunt. Separate, separate instructions for the person putting it on, but for the participant. The first step is to find the signal. And a really well-constructed fox hunt will make sure that everybody is capable of at least hearing the signal from the starting point. Some fox hunts are on foot, and they're in a park, and they're normally, you know, uh, lower power output. Some of the bigger ones you have to drive to. The better fox hunt organizers kind of know how to adjust the power levels so it's not too powerful or too weak. So the first step is to to be able to find the signal, because if you can't find it starting off, it it isn't going to be a fun experience and you won't get very far. If you're given the choice, if it's not on foot, and normally the fox hunt, if it's on foot and everybody's starting together, the fox hunt official will turn on a radio and say, this is what it sounds like, and describe the transmission pattern and signal. So it might be it, it transmits a, a Morse code for one minute and one minute off. Or it might transmit uh, a longer message, but there's a five to ten minute gap. Yeah, some of them, it's, it's a ten minute. Ours are um, going to be five it, minutes, one minute transmit every five minutes, and it's county-wide. So that's good. I'll talk you through a, a fox hunt we did and, and, and one, and, and it was the same thing. So. Uh, a one minute on and then every five minutes rotating pattern. That's probably the most common uh, that we've seen out there. Um, Typically what happens in something like that is it was not a common starting point. It it was countywide. The only thing was get on the repeater at 9 a.m. and we will give the Fox frequency and you go find it and it's in the county. That's all we're going to say. Now, because we knew ahead of time that it was start from wherever you want to start, I purposely picked a central point in the county, and I picked high ground. It makes, mm-hmm. yeah, we had some folks that participated that literally rolled out of bed, and they <laughs> live in a low area, and they had to drive just to be able to get the signal, so they've already wasted, you know, 10, 20 minutes. So if you if you have the choice of where you're starting out, it, it, you know, again, it sounds self-evident, but this one team didn't really think it through. Try to start on high ground because the you know step one is just to find the signal. Don't don't care where it's at, just find the signal. Step two is once you find the signal, you've got to triangulate the signal, and this is where even experienced hams really let ego and pride get ahead of of, of the math and the science of fox hunting. So triangulate, triangle means three. And so when you find the signal, take your directional antenna, typically a Yagi antenna, and find where you believe the direction is of the strongest signal. That can be typically, if you've got a, you know, a receiver, uh, sometimes called a sniffer in fox hunting. The fox is the transmitter, the receiver is the sniffer. Some people use that term. Um, you can look at the RSSI or the signal strength indicator, the received signal strength indicator in your radio and get a good idea. You know, oh, if I point it 20 degrees, that's the strongest signal. And then you want to plot a path to that signal. You can do that on a map. 
there are some apps for both iPhone and Droid. You can just search Fox Hunt. That will do it somewhat automatically for you. It just eliminates the paper and pencil. You still have to, to plot the bearing. And you really need to go get three different bearings. The blunder that many people make is, okay, I got the strongest signal at 20 degrees. I'm going to head in that direction. The problem is you don't know how far you're going to go if you get at least one other bearing. So what I purposely do is I will drive maybe 90 degrees and take a bearing. Because as you're drawing these on a map or you're using an app, you want to find the point where these lines intersect. So if I shoot a, 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 an azimuth to 20 degrees and then I, I head maybe to uh, you know 65 degrees, then I'll shoot another azimuth and on the map, connect the lines. Now I've got two points where they intersect and, and now I'm feeling pretty good. I would probably then drive to the other side of where those two cross and shoot a bearing. And if you get three lines that intersect, you're probably going to find the fox in that general area. So that's step one, find the signal. Step two, triangulate the signal. And keep doing that until you get some kind of pattern. Now, every once in a while, you'll, you'll get a, an outlier, right, where, you, you know, that doesn't make any sense. You know, these, these three or four lines intersect, and this one's going way off here. You know, that could be anything, a reflection. Just throw it out. Step three and the final step, it's almost like a totally different event. The, you know, the first two gets you within typically a couple hundred yards of it. Sometimes the final hundred yards is the hardest. Now you're close up. The Yagi, quite honestly, isn't going to be as useful. Um, you've got to attenuate the signal and, and, and go find the fox itself. So a funny story in the countywide fox hunt that we did, Ahead of time, I, I found a spot on the map that was high ground, and I said, you know, at 9 o'clock, I'm going to be, we're, Mary Catherine, you and I are going to be standing on the hill, turn on the repeater, we'll hear the frequency, and we'll already be in a good position to find it. So we shot a bearing, went 45 de you know, degrees down, got another bearing. Where the two lines intersected, it was near a park, and I thought, you know, it's probably near that park. I didn't shoot a third bearing. I went to the park. Mm hmm and believe it or not, we were there, and we were within 100 yards of the fox and didn't know it. So we got there, and I said, man, I took the antenna off. It was full signal. I couldn't attenuate enough. In fact, I found out later the guy who put on the fox hunting watched us the whole time, and he was trying to, to stifle a laugh so we wouldn't hear him laughing because <laughs> he knew we were right there. And I, I did, again, I, I followed my own advice. I'm like, well... I think it's close here, but we've got to back out of the park and get another bearing. You know, sh we shouldn't have come here right away. And we did. And sure enough, that other bearing intersected. And I said, okay, it is at that park. We're going back. So we theoretically could have found the fox after two, but that was somewhat of a fluke. And I was familiar with the local area. So we got close. And in this case, the fox, he actually was sitting at a picnic table. The fox was a transmitter that was it hidden in the woods so the so the guy talking was not the fox itself so we found him but the fox was the transmitter away and and we used attenuation and and we found the fox so i can tell you a little bit more about the attenuation but i'll i'll pop up for air i know i like to talk a lot <laughs> oh this is great this is great some people even do these things on the uh, repeater system and people just track the input frequency right it, well, typically a fox is, uh, is simplex. So most fox hunts 
the fox is in a you know an ammo can or some other container and it's automated and it it's probably going to be spitting out morse code among other things just to be you know part 97 legal to identify itself but some of them do use the uh the remote transmitter where somebody's talking and and, and, and in some cases maybe taunting you you know come find me sort of thing but you know typically repeaters are used more for if nobody's getting anywhere close you know, the, the Fox Hunt administrator or the team putting it on gives announcements on the repeater. So it's more, that's typically used more as a, uh, an admin channel. It's, okay. Now, sometimes if, if it's a fox hunting that's long distance and you can have teams, like we had a young man who was teamed up with us for that particular fox hunt I was talking about, we picked a simplex frequency and we talked to each other on that to coordinate. You might do that. But, you know, with the fox, you know, you're really just kind of paying attention to the fox hunting frequency maybe another radio to listen to the repeater for instructions. Cause, and sometimes they'll say, hey, the first team is close, or the first team's found it. I've never been to a fox hunt where every team found the fox. Hmm. There's always one or two teams that get off track, confused, have equipment problems. That's not failure. The activity itself, I think, is the fun. It's not just finding the fox. It's somewhat anticlimactic to, uh, to find the fox. I mean, it's it's nice and all, but it you know it's just a radio, mm-hmm. just a transmitter. There's sure. not a pot of gold at the end, right? Um, and so the very first fox hunt that we participated in, nobody found the fox. We didn't find it. No team found the fox, and there there was some discussion afterward. I won't say what Atlanta Area Club put it on about you know was it a good fox hunt? Well, we had fun, and that that's kind of what mattered. So um, well, for you and Catherine, the fun is being outdoors and getting exercise too, right? Well, it, it is, and, and being partnered up with other people that had never done it before, that, that's all fun. So the third part, the attenuation, so attenuation just means, you know, dampening the signal strength. So if you get really close, and you take your antenna off, and, and even a half-watt or even a milliwatt fox can do that to, to most radios. You can turn the, the squelch fully on turn your attenuator on, take the antenna off, and oftentimes it's still going to overload the radio. So you you have a couple options to attenuate the signal. Uh, One very effective method is body blocking. You you can hold the the radio close to you and and let it dampen the signal. In fact, some of our fellow hands that participate in public service events oftentimes wonder why they're not getting into net control. They've got a radio on their belt, and they're standing in between that antenna and the repeater. You know, it's line of sight. Most foxes are, are VHF or UHF. Another way to do it, they, they make, and there's plans to make your own, too. They're basically resistor-based attenuators. So if you looked at the schematic for an attenuator, it's really just a bunch of resistors in antenna line to, uh, you know, to, to dampen the signal. There's a fundamental problem with that, though, Denny. It, it does work. Most of our radio cases are made out of what? Plastic. Plastic. Plastic is not an RF shield. So you can take the antenna off, and the radio is still picking up the RF through the radio itself. So, yes, you could put an inline attenuator that's resistor-based, but you're still going to get RF through the body of the radio. And we kind of know this as radio operators, and I wouldn't have thought to apply it to Fox Sun, but it works well, and that is when you take the radio slightly off frequency, you're, you're in effect attenuating the signal. Now, that is another... I guess, field expedient way to attenuate the signal, but it's not very accurate. 
and it depends on the radio. You know, can you knock it down in kilohertz or every five kilohertz? Or, you know, a different different step. Aero Antenna makes this device, and there's plans that uh, are out there to make your own called a frequency offset attenuator. And what it does is you, you put it in line on your radio. You purposely tune your radio 4 megahertz off frequency. Now, it doesn't matter if it's plus or minus, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So by being 4 megahertz off frequency, there's very little chance that even if RF gets into the radio, that you're going to hear it because you're 4 megahertz off frequency. So you have effectively tuned it all out. So how do you add the 4 megahertz back and do so in such a way that you can fine-tune it? A frequency offset attenuator adds a waveform, a sine wave, into the mix. Think of it as a mixer, and it, it has a BNC connector, and it hooks right onto your radio and allows you, so you turn it on, and you turn it all the way on. It's kind of backwards of what you think. Turning it all the way on adds the 4 megahertz back. Then you back it off slightly, and, and you're able to fine-tune the attenuation. Hmm. That is a great tool, and it is highly effective, and it's so effective, I mean, you can attenuate out. You can be standing next to the fox, and if you, if you, if you play with it enough, uh, the dial and finesse it a little bit, uh, because it's kind of analog at that point, you, you can have a fine-grained control. Now, funny story about that. So Mary Catherine bought me one of these because she knew how much we enjoyed fox hunting. She said, man, this would be a really cool you know, thing. And we don't spend a lot of money on, on, on ham radio, but when we do, I like to buy good, good things. Um, we, uh, we, we, we went out to a fox hunt, um, had this. I, I had just bought it mainly to use it this fox hunt. And I was having a hard time using it because I was overthinking it. I, I was doing the opposite. You got to open it all the way up. And I was trying to work it like a volume knob, kind of the backwards the way I should. And she literally found the fox while I was fiddling with the, with the equipment. <laughs> and she loves to tell that story. At, you come to a certain point, yes, use your equipment. Yes, trust your equipment. But the human brain and instinct works faster than all that. So, you know. Yes, you might get your device to work, but meanwhile, <laughs> you know, just pay attention. We know we're close. We know we, you know, kind of what we're looking for, right? There's got to be an antenna somewhere, a box. And she did. She literally walked up to me, and they put little numbered stickers on this one. So we yeah. had the number one sticker. Um, <clears throat> hey, while you were fiddling with your toy, I found it. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. You well, know, a, lot of it, a lot of it's visual at that point. You imagine yourself, okay, if I'm going to hide something around here, where would, would I go? Well, there's a, a couple of trees close together, or there's a pile of brush or something like that. So it's a lot of just... Uh, Generally speaking, Denny, a, a good fox hunt organizer knows the type of audience and adjusts accordingly. I like fox hunts to have a couple foxes because then you can have a beginner fox, an intermediate one, and then one that's challenging. And and, and if you master the easy one first, um, you can move on and typically finish them all within the allotted time period. So, you know, some fox hunts will purposely tell you we have hidden it and you can be standing next to it and not know. Right. Others will say you're looking for a flag that's got a fox on it or you're looking <laughs> for an ammo can. 
Um, and, you know, it's really up to the organizers to provide the right amount of clues to, uh, you know, to kind of indicate what you're actually looking for. And, you know, that it, it, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I mean at, at a certain point, Mayor Catherine's right. You know, common sense comes into play, and here's kind of what you're, uh, you're, you're looking for. I have a fox myself. It's a, I call it a baby fox. I, I bought it in kit form. You know, the guy I bought it from, there's a, a fox hunting club in, in Nevada. Um, he's on the Internet. I don't remember his web link. You can probably find it. So I bought the kit and put it together, and he emailed me some ideas. You know, put it inside of a potato chip bag. You <laughs> literally could. It's that small. Put put it in a children's toy, you know, hide it underneath a can or that sort of thing. You know, most fox hunts that I've been to, it, if you're standing next to it, they actually want you to see it. Sure. Now, it may be painted camouflage so it doesn't shine in the sunlight, but, you know, you, you come that far, the purpose isn't to have you dig up the ground and yeah. turn over trash cans and, you know, that sort of thing. It helps to have had experience as a geocacher, I think. You know, I tell people a lot that have never done it, think of this as geocaching or a scavenger hunt with radios. That's it, it, directly analogous. Yeah. yeah. Now, as far as uh, the... Uh, different techniques to use to cut down the signal. I understand you can even go on the UHF band in the third harmonic and have some attenuation. You can. The, pro the only problem with that is most people mess up the math. <laughs> I mean, not trying to be critical, but right. just being realistic. When you're in the field and you've been walking around a while, honestly, that's how I messed up using the frequency offset attenuator the first time I had it. I, I didn't have it fully where I needed to have it. And so the answer is yes. I mean, that's a, a classic way to, 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 to spot interference and by extension, because this is kind of applicable. It's a useful skill. We didn't talk about that. Um, you know, why would one want to do a fox hunt and what's its usefulness? Yeah, finding harmonics can, can be helpful. Most people kind of get the math of that wrong. And so um, I encourage people to use simple things they understand, including the body blocking, which people kind of get as a technique. Yeah, that would be the cheap way to go, and a lot of people don't want to spend a lot of money. But there's some guys that are professional fox hunters that spend hundreds of dollars on their equipment to do that. So, you know, the top end on the equipment, and there's, and again, it's up to the rules of the whoever's putting on the fox hunt. So you can buy a Doppler unit, and the Doppler unit will pretty much do all the work for you and tell you exactly where the fox is. You know, and it, it we won't occupy a lot of time talking about the the theory behind it, but it works the same way as low jack works, and it it measures the time delay of signals. So it's a, an array of antennas, and it is so fine tuned it can it it can triangulate the signal for you based on how long it takes for the signal to reach those antennas, and they you know the computer algorithm. But you you hook one of those up, and you you can buy one for about five hundred bucks, yeah. and hook it up to a laptop. And it will tell you within feet of where the fox is. Yeah. Now, you know, the FCC has equipment like that. And I have been told, this is cool, I need to read more about it. People have crowdsourced using software-defined radios and the, you know, SDR dongles. Yep. You can use the same principles to triangulate signals on, on all frequency bands, including HF. So. Yep. You know, if everybody says, hey, we want to go find out where the transmitter for the, you know, uh, Voice of America is, well, you can fire yours up where you're at in the Ozarks. I can fire mine up here in Atlanta. We, we all update a common map, and it says, boom, there's the antenna. Yep. Well, I know that the government uses that for tracking drug uh, dealers. 
Oh, and yeah. They have a huge yeah. network of that, and they just triangulate and the using— military, And the military, and the prices come so far down. So it's funny. Some fox hunts, I think, are hard enough. And I don't like those kind of fox hunts, by the way, <laughs> where it's just a contest of how much money and toys you can have. I think it takes some of the do-it-yourself out of it. Funny aside about that, so many fox hunts will ban Doppler equipment. They'll just say flat out no Doppler equipment. The Fayette County one that we, we did and won, the one where we started on the high ground, we did kind of have home court advantage. There was another team from the other side of Atlanta that came. Uh, I was not the organizer. I was a participant in that fox hunt um, with Mary Catherine and, and another young ham. They showed up, and, and Doppler equipment was not specifically banned. They used Doppler equipment. We still beat them. In fact, the first, second, and third place teams beat the Doppler guys. Again, back to an earlier comment, there comes a point in time where sometimes fiddling around with your equipment, you know, you win the battle and lose the war. Sort yeah, of thing. yeah. So sometimes that comes into play. But yeah, on the high end, you know, the Doppler equipment, maybe a, a kind of a middle ground. I always use visual signal indicators. There's some cool plans out there to take that and make that an audio signal. And that's the competitive guys use that because they actually run and go, go, you know, find foxes. You know, you have a pair of headphones and it converts the signal strength into an audio meter. So the more it beeps, it's kind of like a metal detector that, you know, you're in the direction and the lesser it beeps. So it's just providing an audio of, of the visual that to me, that's not, yeah, not the same advantage as the Doppler. It does make you a little more hands-free, but many people do that, and they'll sometimes use rabbit ear antennas for that. I see some guys driving around with like four antennas on the top of their car, and then it's hooked to a computer. That's, Doppler. that's the Doppler. Okay, yeah, that's Doppler. That's, that's Doppler. Doppler. So those four antennas are comparing the the you know the time to, and you see how close those antennas are, but they're that accurate that. You know, it down to the millisecond. Wow, the front antenna got the signal of you know a millisecond before the back antenna, so it must be that way. Oh, okay, that's how they work. Yeah, and, that, and some police cars have that array of four antennas, and, and you know the commercial version of Doppler is LoJack. Okay, okay. So this is kind of like what we do in satellites. You got guys that have got big rotors and all controlled by computer, and they sit in their warm shacks, and then you got us guys going out there and. Uh, rain or in a cold day with our handheld Yagi and an HT trying to track the bird. We use our phones with the radar and all that kind of stuff. That's more of a challenge. It's kind of a sport that way. Well, it's a sport that way, and that's a that's a great comparison. And I've often told people, it, to me, you know, sat satellites is almost in a way fox hunting in the sky. Yeah. Because you, you do, you kind of have to find the signal and stay with it and, and, and finesse it a little bit. And, um, you know, I think, I think the skills required for fox hunting help with satellites and vice versa. Yeah, very cool. Well, you're an inspiration, uh, you and your wife together out there, outdoors, visible to everybody. I just want to thank you for sharing it and for being an ambassador for Ham Radio and uh, also for uh, helping your community in emergency stuff. I know you've done a lot of presentations we need more like you. And I think all hams should enjoy the hobby with purpose and thinking outside of just their own personal enjoyment, but to think, how can I use this to help my community to give some uh, activity to some an at-risk kid uh, getting involved in bad things, you know? This is a great hobby for kids and adults alike and brings us together in so many neat ways on a global level. It's just such a wonderful hobby. And thank you for being such a good ambassador. Well, thanks for uh, the kind words, Denny. And, you know, same back at you. 
you know, doing the podcast, the, the Facebook group and, you know, activity on social media. You're a great ambassador, and I, I totally agree with you on that. And, um, you know, it's just a, it's a pleasure to share the hobby with others, and I, I, I appreciate the time today. Thanks. God bless. All right. You too, Denny. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Extra Class Amateur Radio Operator, K5DCC. I just upgraded to my Extra Class last year. You know how I did it? I used HamTest Online. Did you know that HamTest Online is the top-rated study program on eham.net? 97% of reviewers gave them five stars. They have more five-star user reviews than all other study methods combined. And success is guaranteed. If you fail the amateur radio license exam, they will refund your subscription. It's a no-brainer. You pass the exam or get a full refund. Try it for yourself at hamtestonline.com. Thank you for listening to this radio on the Rocks Cafe cast. We invite you to join our Mighty Networks amateur radio community at members.digicomcafe.com.